So as you turn there, I have one announcement for us. Uh, actually, a couple announcements that um, affects all of you in this room. And that is, a couple months ago, we came to you and said, hey, we're thinking about doing something different with our 7 p.m. service. Um, we usually have about 200 kids, excuse me, 200 college students um, that show up to our 7 p.m. service. And um, we said that one of the things we want to do with some recent things that have been happening at ASU and who we are as a church is, what if we moved our 7 p.m. service to a location where people on campus could walk and, and worship with us, uh, people who don't have a church, people that don't know Jesus, to be able to reach more college students, uh, faculty, and staff at ASU. So we entered in a dialogue with First Congregational Church, and that's what we told you guys to be praying for um, to see if that would go well. Well, this is our first announcement to say it went really well and really good, and they were allowing us to use their space um, 7 p.m. And so for now, what we're going to do is we're going to take this first semester, and we're going to do service there every single Sunday starting August 24th for our 7 p.m. service. We'll be over there at First Congregational Church. And so here's what you could be praying for. One, be praying um, that people who already have a church don't come to that service, all right? Pray against that. We don't want people who already have a place to worship, already have a church to come there because it's a cool thing that's happening on 7 o'clock at night. Um, pray against that. Pray for people who don't know Jesus or who do know Jesus but don't have a church. And so we're looking at the eight or 9,000 freshmen that will enroll in the campus the week that we start that, that those kids, those sophomores, juniors, and seniors, fifth-year seniors like many of us did, um, will be able to find a place to be able to worship, okay? So pray against church hoppers. And then pray for those who don't know Jesus to be able to have a church. So that's a 7 o'clock service. Um, that's going to start up again at First Congregational um, August 24th. Second part of the announcement is we are changing our service times. This is where it immediately affects you guys. That we will no longer be meeting from 9 a.m. or at 9 a.m. and 1045. Our service times will change uh, to 930 and 11 a.m. 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. August 24th. Most of you are like, that's fine because I go to the 11 a.m. anyway. Right? And so, <laughs> that's true. That's, you're right, Ricardo. You're right. <laughs> so 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m., that is start August 24th. So make sure you write that down. And so that's all I have uh, for our time of announcements. Let's jump into Romans. Uh, Romans chapter 11, the latter part um, where Paul is essentially putting a big, huge period on everything that he's been saying. Actually, an exclamation point on everything he's been saying from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 11, and even more specifically, chapter 9 to chapter 11, where, where Paul in chapter 9 began to talk about how God was moving upstream apart from us in his sovereign grace, and he used words like election and predestination, and then we said, okay, there's this responsibility downstream, no matter what you think or believe or know about those doctrinal things, at some point in your life, you have to respond. That means believe and trust in Jesus. And, and when you believe and trust in Jesus, we said that, that's not just something that you can keep to yourself, but it says how can we believe in this and, and, and not be people who send people to share this gospel. And so that, that was the very, very latter part of Romans chapter 10. And then we came back and we said, here's a group of people who are going to China. Here's a group of people who are planning church in Tucson. And then here's a group of people who are um, going to be going to Turkey. We said Three most unreached people areas, right, where people need to know Jesus, Turkey, China, and Tucson, right? And so we said, we're going to just send people there, right? And then we came to Romans chapter 11, and Paul is saying, here's what God is doing. He's taking Jewish people and Gentile people, and he's bringing them together. And he's actually using Gentiles' love for Jesus to be able to woo back, win back many of those people who are ethnic Jewish people to be one. And, and Paul is just like, 
this is more than we can handle. And he just abrupts into praise in these last four verses. And so the way I see Paul in this is Paul is writing somewhere, wherever he's at writing this letter to the church in Rome, and, and, and he just gets done, and he just is like, oh, the depths, the riches, the wisdom of God, who fully knows him, he's amazing, and he just drops the pen, and he just walks out and goes, boom, right? I'll get to the rest of the chapters later. That, that's kind of where we're at today. And so here's my goal. My whole goal, my whole prayer from, uh, through my sermon prep is that we would be able to understand what it means to worship God. This whole section, this passage, is called doxology. And that's just a Latin word that means singing praise and giving praise to God. The first song that we, we sing this, this morning was called doxology. It's been sang for centuries. And it, it is praise God from whom all blessings flow, right? Praise him here below, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It means all praise, all honor, all glory, everything we do, everything we say, it goes back to God. And my goal for that is we'll talk about worship being all of life, which worship is not just singing. It is all of life. We'll do that when we get to Romans chapter 12 next week. But for today, it is singing praises to God. Because here's been my experience. Um, I've been the pastor of this church now for three years, almost three years or whatever it's been. I've been here. Is our experience is, for whatever reason, we have this really relational church. Everyone likes to hang out and be friends with each other. And it's kind of really relaxed. And yet when we come to worship through singing, we become really buttoned up, just real proper right? And I don't get it. Like, sometimes I want to, like, hand out a bunch of beers and a hula hoop and just say, guys, loosen up, right? Just, 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 just loosen up a little bit, right? Or at least a hula hoop, right? right? <laughs> we do, yeah, all right. And just, just, just a hula hoop, right? Just loosen up a little bit. And here's why. Not just to sing and move and dance and raise our hands for no reason, but honestly, because we worship a really, really big God who leans into our life primarily through the, the work of his son, Jesus, and when you get near grace, where your sin and his love meets, we said this last week, you are on holy ground. And there's no way that you can have an understanding of the vastness of God and how he draws near to us and get close to that beautiful theology and doctrine that, that Paul has been writing and not just abrupt and praise. And, and, and so that, that's just the goal. So we'll do communion differently. Um, you don't have to sit down and reflect, and we're going to sing songs loudly, and, and, and like together we're going to sing at the same time. We might even clap at the same time on, in rhythm. It, who knows what might happen, right? But that, that's just saying, that's the so what of this message. And so um, let me read this first part, and then we'll jump into this. Uh, Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable are his ways. I, I don't know if you've ever had that, those, those awkward experiences called dreams, right? Like, I love dreams. I never know what they mean. I wish there was, like, a book that, like, explained what every dream meant. And I know some of you are going to go, oh, there is a book. Don't, I don't want your book about crystals and whatever, whatever about my dreams, right? My dreams. But you've ever had those dreams, or there's some dreams you have where you're doing something in your dream you know you shouldn't be doing, and you wake up and you're so excited that it, wasn't, that it was a dream. You're like, whew, I'm glad that really didn't happen. You know what you should do in those moments? You should confess to God and go, Lord, if, protect me from whatever that is, right? But you don't want to tell anybody about those dreams. Then you have those dreams where, or at least for me, well, I will be busting up out loud in a dream and wake myself up laughing, right? And so you go from one sphere where they, whatever you're doing, and you're laughing, ha, but you wake up and you're like, ha, ha, nobody's awake, Right? <laughs> 
And in those moments for me, I, I want to wake up my wife and just try to explain to her, try to get her to where I've just been because whatever it was was so funny that it woke me up from, from you know, Mr. Sandman to like real life dreaming, laughing the whole deal. But I know if I wake her up once, she's going to be upset and I can never get her back to that experience, right? It was just something that just came out of nowhere. It seems like, it seems like where Paul is at is saying, I've been somewhere with God. I've been trying to explain it for chapter after chapter, and I'm packing who God is, and he just, in in a spontaneous way, just worships God for who he is. And and I believe what Paul is doing, not just to us here today, but to to all people who love God or those who are on a journey in loving God, and is saying, if you get near this, I want you, I want to take you somewhere where I've been. I want to take you into the presence of God that you may know him. And there's a few things that Paul lays out for us in these very short verses. One is that we worship God, and our worship to God is in response to who God is and what God has done. And I said it in that order for a reason. Who God is. Sometimes we want to worship God only for what he's done, which is beautiful and great. But just who he is and his character and his attributes, just the presence um, of who God is. So we worship God in response to who he is and what he's done. Secondly, we worship God in response to who we are and what we have not done who we are and what we have not done in this grand unfolding plan and this thing called salvation. And lastly, when you get those two, who God is, what he's done, who we are, what we have not done, you understand that worship in itself is an active expression of love for God, an active expression, not just something we, it's cognitive. It's not um, less than that. I mean, you got to know some things about God that leads to worship, but there's no way you can know things about God and not worship God. And so it's active and it's expressive. And so that's what we'll begin at uh, this morning. First, looking at who God is and what he's done for us. And we'll spend the bulk of the time on this first part. Paul says, oh, the depths and riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. He just starts off and he says, oh, that word oh is not like, oh, yeah, I forgot something. It, it is a saying what, what and who God is is bigger than I can imagine. What Paul is communicating here is that God himself, he is comprehensible. We can know God. He's revealed himself through his creation. He's revealed himself through his word. And even more clearly, he's revealed himself through Jesus Christ. And we may know him through the gospel. So so he's comprehensible, but he's not fully comprehensible. I don't care who you are. I don't care how many books you can read. I don't know how much you've read the Bible. It doesn't matter. You cannot fully know God. He is infinite and we are finite. In his word, he says, my thoughts, check it out, they're not yours. My ways are not your ways. And what Paul first lays out for us is we can worship God for what we know about him. It's not a we don't know who God is. We know him. But we can also worship God for what we don't know about him. Meaning Paul, who just wrote all of this deep doctrine that people debate about and argue about. There's volumes and volumes of books about people saying, this is what Paul is saying. And we can go, that is what he's saying. And he said that's what he's saying. But then he concludes it with saying, I don't even really know. Because that's how big God is. He's saying, oh, the depth. What he's talking about is how deep God is. To me, one of the most dangerous, one of the most um, um, vicious scariest things in this world is the ocean, right? And we've already talked about this. I can swim. Don't go there. <laughs> the, re- the reason why it is, is it's just 
huge body of water. Whenever I'm in a huge body of water, one, I get motion sickness, and it's just going, this thing can take people out. We've seen when, when the water begins to leave where it's supposed to be and goes into places where it's not, how there's flood and disasters, and it's, it's, it's horrible. I mean, you even can look at your own experience if you've ever been to Huntington Beach or any beach that has waves, and you're standing where you should not be. That thing will take you out. And what Paul is saying is, when it comes to God, you can drown in who he is. Do you understand that when we get to heaven, or when heaven gets here, I should say, and renews this world, that people think, oh, then I will know everything. No, you won't. All of eternity, we will be getting to know God more and more, deeper and deeper. Um, We will be able to comprehend him more, but he will never be fully comprehensible. We will never know everything because we never become God. He's the only one who is all-knowing. So even in a perfect, glorified body, we have a better capacity to be able to understand God better, but we will never fully know him. He himself is vast as the ocean, and we we just sink in it and know more and more of who he is. That's what Paul is saying. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. And then he gives us these three attributes of God, that we may know who he is and what he's done for us. These attributes are usually known as communicable attributes. What they mean is we share some of these attributes, not in the way that God has them, but in the way that we have them. The first one he says is riches. And when he mentions that word riches, the only time that Paul uses that is in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. And in the context of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, And also in the context of Romans chapter 11, after what he's just said, here's what Paul is talking about. He's not just talking about the gospel in abstract, but the gospel in real life with real people. Meaning not only the vertical understanding of sinners being reconciled to God, but but particular sinners from particular backgrounds with particular preferences and particular ethnicities and cultures and so forth becoming one, adopted into the family of God. And so when you read about it in Ephesians chapter 3, the way Paul talks about it is he's saying he's bringing Jew and Gentile together to display his riches, meaning he is the only one that can bankroll, who could fund this great plan of salvation, and it's his plan, the riches of it. And when it comes to now in our text in, in verse 33, he's saying the same thing. He's saying, understand that this story of the gospel, Genesis to Revelation, is not just you getting right with Jesus. It's not just you having your sins forgiven. It's nothing less than that. But he said it's far bigger than that. Paul steps back as a Jewish individual who understands the narrative from a Jewish perspective, who's been given, as he talks about, the mystery. And when Paul talks about that mystery, he's saying the mystery is how God in Jesus is reconciling all people to himself. And not just a general blanket, all people, but Jew and Gentile, white and black uptown and downtown, those who have and those who have not, middle class, lower class, upper class, meaning there is an ethnic project going on in which Jesus is the center of, and we miss that. We really do. We miss it. Paul's saying that is his riches, and he steps back and saying when it comes to this worship, this worship experience is this huge, multifaceted, multicultural experience, namely in Jesus Christ, and as a Jewish person, Paul got it because Paul knew we've been hammering on for the past two weeks. And that is Genesis chapter 12 was this promise. And that promise meant a lot. And that promise wasn't specifically and only to Jewish people. Genesis chapter 12, God chooses the man named, named Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless your family. And he says that I'm going to bless your family, create a nation. And it, it was a so that nation. And what that means, so that, is that they would receive the law, the ordinances, the adoption, that they would receive the covenant of God 
so that other nations would be blessed through them. That God was going to work through average normal people like you and I, and that particularly here in Israel, that God was going to use them to bless the other nations. And he says, that's my plan. That's my promise of redemption. And I'm going to, I'm going to redeem people. That was a promise that said, God, is, I'm going to do that. And that in itself, when it says nations, the word nations is, uh, the Greek word there for that is, is um, excuse me, the Hebrew word for that is ethne, which is where we get the word ethnicities. Meaning from the very beginning when God decided to go on a long plan of redemption, he had every culture and people group in mind. And it wasn't he was going to draw cultures together and have them get rid of their cultural identities. No, he was going to draw from those cultural identities what the gospel does. Everything that is God present there, redeem what needs to be redeemed, reject what needs to be rejected, and draw them together to be one new man. And Paul steps back and goes, the riches of how God is doing all that in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, he was the riches of that. And then in that same vein of understanding the vertical, us being sinners being reconciled to God, and then horizontal of sinners of different backgrounds, um, different voting tendencies, um, different preferences, different economical backgrounds, different languages coming together. He says not only is that his riches being shown, but it's his wisdom. And the wisdom of God here is not just God being smart, meaning his plan of salvation. Everything that's been unfolding in the scriptures, everything that is unfolding to this very day, you sitting in this chair listening to this word of God. He's saying the wisdom of God. Nobody could have planned this but God. Not just his wisdom we worship him for. Not just his riches, but then he goes on to say his knowledge. Meaning not our knowledge of God, but God's knowledge. That he's infinite. That when he thinks of something, that he can make it happen. He can fund it with his riches. He can see the vision and how it should plan out in his wisdom. And his knowledge, he will make things go the way that they ought to go. That there's nothing that's happening by random chance, good and bad, that God sovereignly ordains. Um, he causes or actively allows all things for our good and for his glory. He's saying this is whom the God in whom we worship. That is reconciling us, reconciling us vertically to himself, but then horizontally he's drawing us with one another in Jesus. Like that's the linchpin of it. And Paul just steps back and says, man. And he continues in this latter part of, um, of verse 33. And he says this. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. He says, how unsearchable are his judgments. Now, his judgments here is not judgment upon sin. It's his judicial ways, meaning the way he's acting out and carrying out his plan. How he has final authority. That he is the author of it all. He is the sustainer of it all. And he is carrying out this grand plan of salvation of which you and I get to be a part of because of Jesus. We worship God for who he is. His mercy, his love, his grace, his riches, his wisdom, his knowledge, his judgment. We can't even search it. We can't even fully understand it. And then what he's done for us is that in Christ we've been included into it by grace. You see, I, here, one of the things I love about, about God and the way he works is that even if you're in this room this morning and you're not a Christian, um, whether you believe this or not, you were created in the image of God. Your worth, your value, your dignity is not about what you do or what you cannot do or what has been done to you. None of, none of that gets robbed from you in this world. You're, you're, all of that flows from you being created in God. And the way that works is you've got to think of it like a mirror, that a mirror is supposed to reflect. We're supposed to reflect God in the things that we do, the things that we make, the songs that we sing, etc. And what happens with sin in this world is that sin in itself, evil, decay, it's like a mirror that takes a, a big softball and throws at that mirror and it shatters. That mirror doesn't cease to be able to be um, the functional purpose to reflect. 
And as you know, in a shattered mirror, it still reflects, but improperly. And so what the gospel does is the good news of Christ is, is by the Holy Spirit is putting those things back together to reflect God. And so you being created in the image of God, Christian, non-Christian, like just humanity, is that there are certain God-given talents, God-given personalities, God-given wiring, Myers-Briggsness, right? Whatever, right? You, you have those things. And part of that for me that God deposited in me before I was even a Christian is, is, is this idea of, of multiculturalism or whatever you want to call it, diverse. Before diversity was like a cool word. Now like diversity is like, it's like you, you got to be diverse or you're, you're a bigot. It's like, are you diverse? Yeah, yeah, I'm diverse. What do you mean? I don't know, but I knew I was supposed to say it, right? It's like, no, 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 before that, right? And part of it is just caring for people being together. And one of the coolest things in your walk with the Lord, one of the coolest things is when you begin to um, come to know Jesus and you see the things that you liked, you enjoyed, um, that you were kind of drawn to before you knew God, and you pick up the scriptures, and you begin to see what God has called us to as a people, that those things, some of those things are transferred over. Like, meaning you, you, you used to do certain things, and now those things can be used in a way to bring honor to God, whether in your vocation, whether in your hobbies, whether in your pastimes, whatever it may be. And one of those things for me was going, okay, I didn't, newsflash, I didn't think of this whole diverse thing. And neither did our culture, and neither did anybody in our country. This was God's design, and so God is doing it in Christ. And so now I have the impetus, and I have the, the ability, um, I have the backing, because when God says he wants to do something, he's going to do it. And so that, that's like a really, really good thing. And we're always looking for ways in which this can be expressed. And, and the best way that I've ever seen it expressed in my, my own experience is, is how God reconciles people and how in our life it's a reenactment of the gospel that is a witness to people was when my wife and I um, first started dating each other. My, her grandmother um, was, was, uh, didn't like black people. Which I thought, well, this is going to be interesting. Um, is she blind? Because that might help. Um, and, and so when I met her, she wouldn't talk to me. She wouldn't give me a hug. She wouldn't, it was just kind of weird. And, and I get it. Um, you know, I get it, you know, 86 years old, not giving her excuse, but different world, different upbringing, whatever. And so, uh, she came to our wedding and at our wedding, um, you know, we have like, uh, my side, you know, on weddings, you like, I don't know why they do this. Like if you're with Ricardo, you sit over here. If you're with Holly, you sit over here, right? If you're with her family. So my side is rowdy. Everyone's excited and moving and dancing. Her side, they were all buttoned up. We gave them beers and a hula hoop. And, um, <laughs> and we're standing there and Tyler Johnson's doing the wedding. And I thought he did an incredible job at displaying and communicating the gospel. And um, my, my wife's grandmother sees all this, hears our vows, you know, the, 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 we're committing to each other in the name of Jesus. Jesus does this, his blood, just hearing about it. And afterwards, she comes up to us with tears in her eyes, and she says, you know what? I guess the whole white-black thing when it comes to Jesus, it, it really doesn't matter. Reached out to me and gave me a big hug. I gave her a hug. Watched the suit. <laughs> and... <laughs> <laughs> and it was great. It was great. I mean, until this, until this day, I mean, she still sees it, and it just changed for her. It changed for her. Pa- Paul's saying, let's worship God for who he is and what he's done, and let's realize when it comes to the gospel, it's not this abstract thing. This thing is for living people everywhere, meaning as we send the Bensons to Turkey, they will be with a group of people that have already heard the gospel, some who have not, Continue the work of God's kingdom there, and people will be worshiping God and their Turkish culture. 
On Friday, we'll have a team of people going for a short-term trip to China. And, and Ryan and the group of people will go to China and be with Chinese people, then also go with the three church planners in which we supporting, are supporting um, in Tibet. And they will be in a Tibetan place with people who are worshiping God in that particular culture. Um, wherever we are, no matter who we are, that we worship Jesus for who he is and then also what he's done for us. And like Paul, we look to him and we sing his praises because he and only he could bring us together, forgive us of our sins, and make us one new people that is completely different than anything else in this world. Paul's saying, that's the type of God we serve, amen? Amen. Like, that's the type of God in whom we worship. Not in abstract, but in the reality of the day-to-day activities in which we have in our life. And when you step back and you, you, you see this story unfolding, even as just people, just normal people, we go, that's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, you think about just in your day-to-day life, things you like, um, books you read, songs you hear, movies you watch. Don't you ever want to um, talk to the person who wrote that song? the person who wrote that book, the person who filmed that movie, and go, how did you come up with such an incredible story, right? Like, if, if I had the opportunity, I know he's dead now, I would have loved to talk to John Coltrane. How do you do what you do? Some of you guys are like, who's John Coltrane? Jazz, baby. <laughs> jazz, jazz, man, it's good. So I, how do you do what you do? Um, some of you, it's a book. You can think about whatever your favorite book is, and you want to go, what inspired you to write this great story? Whatever it is. Maybe it's J.R. Tolkien. Or it's a movie, right? Every time I watch... Shawshank Redemption, I'm always like, Andy, (laughs) this is great. Um, And some of you, it may be The Notebook. (laughs) Wait. Some of you guys are like, yeah, I only watch The Notebook because, you know, my girl wanted me to watch The Notebook. No, 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 no. (laughs) Let's be honest in here. Here's the deal with The Notebook. I came to The Notebook late because, maybe because when The Notebook came out, I didn't have a girlfriend um, and to be honest with you, I watched it by myself. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm before the Lord, my friends. <laughs> and so I watched the movie, and, and I'm telling you, that, that movie will get you. I don't care what sex you are, where you're from, what language you speak. Love is an amazing thing. It is. It is. And I'm not trying to be overly romantic and whatnot, but think about it. Every good story is just a hint. Every good song, every good poem, it's just a hint of the ultimate story. It may be an improper hint, but it's a hint of the ultimate story. I don't care if you were a man in this room. You cannot look at the notebook and see how this man loves his wife who is out of her mind, lost her memory, loses her memory. And what does he do? Here's who you are. Here's who I am. Here's what we've been through. Here's how much I love you. Reminds her, brings her back, and then she wanders again. And what does he do again? Here's who you are. Here's who I am. This is how I've always loved you, and I'm always going to love you. Brings her back. And then she wanders again. I don't care who you are. At the core of your being inside here, there is something in which God has placed in the heart of every single man. It's called eternity. That the greatest story ever told, Genesis to Revelation, speaks to that. And at the very, at the very heart of this story that we, we understand of his riches and his wisdom is God himself looking at his people in whom we wander out of our mind that we have sinned against others and others have sinned against us, that the brokenness and decay of this world has affected us, that we naturally wander. And what does God do? In Christ Jesus, he wins us back. He tells us who we are creating his image, who he is as our God and as our Father, and draws us together by the power of the Holy Spirit through the work of Jesus. And we love him. And then we wander again. And what does he do? He pursues once again. 
And he tells us who we are, creating his image, love for all eternity, reconciled in the work of Jesus Christ. He is our father, and he loves us, and he's never leave us, going to leave us nor forsake us. And then we wonder again, and that process happens again and again and again. When we see that, we go, oh, yeah, we know the substance of that story. It's called the gospel, <laughs> and it's good news because one who stands there is a father who loves us because he loves us. Amen? We love that. We want to go, who's the author of that? Who, 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 who came up with this? Like who, who, who inspired him, right? He, I love you because I love you, right? If you ever read through the book of Deuteronomy, there, there's a section in there that I just love, and God is talking to the Israelites, and he says, I didn't choose you because you were more in number. I didn't choose you because you, you can do some things for me, and it's the same thing with us. God didn't choose us because of what we can, we can add to his, his kingdom. He goes, I didn't choose you for these things, but he says in Deuteronomy, I loved you because I loved you. That's it. And one of the things I love to do with my boys is every single night when I sit down with them and I talk to them, and I know they're goofballs, but I try to give it to them. I'm like, hey, do, do, you, do you know that daddy loves you? Yeah, daddy loves you. Do you know why I love you? And every once in a while, it's because we cleaned our room. And I'm like, you really didn't. <laughs> you know, you didn't. No, man, you know I love you? And then my oldest one is starting to get it in the sense that he can repeat it. I don't know how much he really gets it because you love us because you love us. I want that to be so ingrained in my children. You know why? Because they're going to get older and they're going to start realizing, Daddy does respond a little different when we do well. It does seem like he kind of loves us more when we do what he tells us to do and we get good grades and so forth. And I don't want them to be perform- performance-driven people. Many of us are. I want them to know without a shadow of a doubt, hey, before you can ever perform anything, I loved you. Before you failed at anything, I loved you. Before you tried anything, I loved you. I love you because I love you. And all I'm trying to do, all we're trying to do as parents is going. We have a father who looks at us and says, when you could do nothing, when you were lost, I found you. When you were sinners, I forgave you. When you were dead, I made you alive. I love you because I love you. <laughs> Paul's saying, how? What? Oh, the depths of riches and wisdom and knowledge. A love like this? Who influenced this? That we get to be a part of this. And he goes, How? How inscrutable are your ways? This is, this is the God in whom we worship. This is the God in whom we serve. This is the God who leans into our life and draws us into his story in which we are so affected by in everything that we do. And then, and then Paul doesn't just stop there. He, he doesn't just say, here's who God is. Here's what God's done. He goes on to say, and, and here's who you are. <laughs> and here's what you could have never done. Read with me in verse 34. It says, for who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? What Paul is doing here is he's quoting from Isaiah, and he's quoting from Job. Um, the first part of Isaiah that he's quoting from is after Isaiah has promised good news, and he's, the God says, I'm promising good news, and that the exiles will be t- returned to Jerusalem. And then after that, he goes, but look at who I am. And then, and, then there, and then when you read Isaiah chapter 40, uh, particularly verses 10 through 13, you see that he's saying, I'm going to love you. I've been a good shepherd. And he goes, and God holds everything in his hand. Who could ask him a question? Who's influenced him? He goes, he's got everything. It says in the span of his hand. And that word span, it, it means um, in Hebrew, the, the stretching and the measuring of the tip of your pinky to the tip of your thumb, right? That's where we get the song. He's got the, he's got the whole world in his hand. Like he palms the world in his hand. He's got this. And, and then and God is, or God is, excuse me, what Paul is saying now on this point is just saying, we didn't influence God, right? Going back to the movie, movie reference, 
Last January, we got an opportunity to go to this conference in Salt Lake City. It was a church conference, a Christian church conference. Every time I say that, everyone always thinks something else. But we're there, and the, one of the pastors of the church who hosted it had a connection with a guy uh, who can get us all into the Sundance Film Festival that was going on at the time that was free. And if you're not familiar with the Sundance Film Festival, you get to watch all these movies and, um, and, and meet people, and, and it was kind of cool. And most of the time, you went to a movie that was not very good. And so the first, the first movie we went to was a bunch of us in there, and, and it, was, uh, it was like a Japanese documentary on something I have no idea. It was in subtitles, and it was just really bad. But I didn't want to be the pastor who got up and was culturally insensitive, and so I didn't. And so one of the guys got up and left, and I, I started judging him. And then <laughs> another guy got up, and I started thinking, oh, I wish I could leave. And then Jim, Jim Mullins, who's like the most internationally savvy guy in the world, he got up and left, and I thought, I'm out, right? And and then there was another one that I really, really, really liked. And what was really cool about this is most of these documentaries and movies, when they were over, the film writer, many of the cast members would come out just kind of in a setting like this, and then they would facilitate questions. And you can ask questions of, why did you write this? And what was unique is they always told you what inspired this particular movie, this particular documentary. And it was usually, I had this experience, or I grew up here, or I, um, I, I saw this film, or something inspired them to do it. They got it from somewhere. It wasn't really original. And the reality of it is, what Paul is saying here, nothing's original. Like, none of us, even in our creativity, we take what's already there. Movies is taking the raw material of human life and making a movie. Um, We take food. We rearrange ingredients that are here, and we make food. Whatever it is that's made, it's made from something. God is the only one who creates out of nothing. And what Paul is saying here from Isaiah and Job is going, did anybody whisper into the ear of God to say, do salvation? He says, no. No one said, hey, God, no, it would be really cool. It would be really good to leverage your, your whole godness thing. Um, I'm a marketing guy. I can help you out. If you do this, do this. No, right? None of that happened. He goes, who has been his counselor? He's saying, nobody. And then when he gets to the Job passage here at the, the latter part um, and talking about who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. Job. Job is this book of a man of suffering. And Job has all these things that, bat, that, that happen to him that are just terrible. And God allows it. And he's got these three stupid friends around him who are no help at all. And then at the very end, Job begins to ask questions to God. God, 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 God. In the same way, we have all these questions. And then what God does for like four chapters is just unload on him. Where were you when I created the world, huh? huh? I mean, and just, just unloads on him. And he unloads just his character to the very end of it. Job's like, I'm done. I'm done. And, and he says these words. He goes, you know, I heard of you before with my ears, but now I see you with my eyes, meaning I understand your vastness. I understand who I am and what I've never done. I could never add to you loving me. And the good news is I can never take away from your love. <laughs> he goes, therefore, I repent to ash and dust, meaning I worship you. I can't, and you can. Um, I haven't, and you have. You were God, and I am not. And what I love about that is God never answers any of Job's questions. He just gives them himself. Guys, we don't need all of, we will, some of us will never have some of our deepest questions answered by the Bible or God. Some of them will be. Jesus is the answer, but not all of them. We don't need more information. What we most need is Jesus. What we most need is God. 
And what God gives freely is himself, which is the greatest need that anybody has. And so he overwhelms them with this bigness. He goes, you, you, this is, this is who you are. And this is what you can never do. You can't influence him. No one can be his counselor. Um, I, I want to read to you um, a huge quote from this book by Louis Giggle. I read probably 2006. Great, great book. Short book called, um, I Am Not, But I Know I Am. And it, and, it, and it begins to speak about, I believe, what Paul's talking about, or knowing who we are, knowing who God is. And he says this. <clears throat> God is more massive than our, our wildest imagination, bigger than the biggest words we have to describe him. And he's doing good today, sustaining galaxies, holding every star in place, stewarding the seemingly chaotic events of earth to his conclusion within great history. God is constant. He blinks and a lifetime comes and goes. To him, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand, year, thousand years is one day. All of human history could be written on his fingernail with plenty of room left over for more. And God is doing well today, thank you. He has no dilemmas, no quandaries, no counselors, no shortages, no rivals, no fears, no cracks, no worries. He's self-existent, self-contained, self-perpetuated, self-powered, self-aware. In other words, he's God and he knows it. God does whatever he wants. His purposes are a sure thing. There's no stopping him, no containing him, no refuting him, no cutting him off at the pass, no short-circuiting his agenda, God is in control. He sends forth lightning from his storehouse. He breathes out the wind, waters, and waters the earth, raises up rulers, directs the course of nations, births life, ordains death, and in the midst of it all, still has time to be intimately acquainted with the everyday affairs of everyone and every planet. God knows everything about every, everything and everyone. To him, pitch darkness and midday are one of the same. Nothing is hidden from him. He wrestles with no mysteries. He doesn't need to wait for a polygraph machine to decipher the truth. He sees clearly and comprehends all that he sees. He ne he's never known what it is to have a teacher, a role model, an advisor, a therapist, a loan officer, an adjuster, a doctor, or a mother. God's rule and reign are unrivaled in history and eternity. He sits on the everlasting throne. His kingdom has no end. Little gods abound, but he alone made the heavens and the earth. God has never feared a power struggle or a hostile takeover. He doesn't have to watch his back. He has no equal, no peer, and no competition. He's God. And, and what the book goes on to say is, and invariably what happens is that when, when, when he begins to talk about God this way, that people will say, man, you're starting to make me feel, feel guilty and small. And he goes, well, realize you're not alone. <laughs> And, and he's, well, I don't like feeling really, really small, as if that could be the worst thing in the, in the world. He goes, his goal is not to make us feel small, but the goal is to have us realize we are small, really, really small. And yet, in the vastness and understanding of God, or another way to say that he's transcendent, he's above all. That there's, there's nothing like him. As he said, there's no rival. Paul is saying, who has been his counselor? There's no peer. He's peerless. But even though he's transcendent, even though he's above time and above space, he's also imminent, which means he is there. He is present with the clothes you put on today, with the decisions you need to make tomorrow, with what you're going to feed your family, with the relationships you have, every decision that you need to make, every single meal that you're going to create, every poem that you're going to write, every, every sales deal that you need to close, everything that needs to happen, that he's there with you, never leaving you, never forsaking you. And so though he's vast, though he's big, though he's transcendent, 
He happens to love you so much that he's willing to enter in and put on flesh and die in your place and that you would not have to die, but you may have life. That's the God we serve. We worship him for who he is, what he's done for us. We worship him in response that we don't add to this thing called salvation. What Paul was communicating here in verse 34 and 35, what he's alluding to in Isaiah and Job, what that quote was all about is that everything that happens in salvation was by sheer grace. Because he loved you, because he loved you. No influences. You did nothing to earn it or receive it. You do nothing to lose it. It will always be there for you, namely in Jesus Christ. Amen? And then Paul um, concludes with verse 36, which is my last point, And that is, not only do we worship God for who he is and what he's done, not only do we worship God for who we are and what we have not done, but also that worship in itself is this active expression, expression of praise towards God. And here's what Paul does in this doxology, verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Here's what Paul was saying. Um, From him, meaning everything that's been created, everything that's been thought about, Every painting that you've been able to see, every song that you can experience, everything, he says, is from God, meaning he's the creator. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has created it all, and it's from him. He's not only the, the source of all things, is what Paul is saying, but he moves on and says to him, meaning he, he's the sustainer of all things, that you and I exist right now because God is holding us together by the very power of his word. That you and I, many of us, will get in a bike, we'll get in a car, we will travel somewhere, and God is the one who is holding together by the very power of his word. That he's the majestic one, he's the almighty one, he's the all-sovereign one. Um, He's the source of all things, he's the sustainer of all things. And then lastly, it says to him be the glory. He is the goal of everything. Meaning, um, as you feed your family, as you raise your family, as you pursue God in your singleness, as you go to work in whatever vocation that God has given you, that that vocation in itself is not just a means to an end to provide for your family. It's, more, it's much more than that. It's a way to say, what can I do in this broken world to bring whatever it is that is under my authority to the ultimate author of all things to his praise and glory? He's the goal. Whatever career you should choose to decide, whatever that may be, it has to be that God is the goal. And so we use this word glory, give God the glory. Sometimes we just say that. We don't even know what it means. Here, in short, here's what I mean. He gets the honor. He gets the fame. You know what all of us are most guilty for? Plagiarizing. Whenever you say, I did that, all me, Drake, sorry from the bottom, now we here. You didn't do anything, right? <laughs> Everything that you have is a gift from God. You might have worked hard with what God has given you. If you're smart, you might have worked hard with the intellect God has given you. If you're athletic, the body that God has given you. Um, if you have children, the gift of children just because you guys did some things and what you do to get pregnant doesn't mean that that, uh, that 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 is something you did. God gave it to you. Acknowledge it. Quit plagiarizing. He's the goal of everything. So everything we have, everything that we're good stewards of that, and we give God praise and glory. And so three examples of that as we close. Um, in the Old Testament, I love, is when people get near this. When they get near God, when they get near his love and his mercy and his redemption and how they just respond. My, my, my first, the first one I want to point out here is in Exodus. Exodus chapter 15, what you have is um, the people of God have just been delivered. 
and the, the, the Red Sea has been parted. He's uh, rescued the people through Moses and miraculous things from uh, the hands of Pharaoh. And this is this beautiful picture when you read through uh, Exodus. If you don't know that story, or you can, you can watch the movie and the jello parts, and, and people kind of walk through, right? And then what happens after that is Moses writes this song, and they begin singing. And not only does he just write a song, he gets his sister Miriam, and then she gets a tambourine. And I'm like, oh, that's where the tambourine started. I thought for sure that started in black church. Everybody's got a tambourine, right? And it's like, oh, that was a Hebrew thing. We just stole it, right? And so you just have this abrupting and singing. Uh, the second part is in Nehemiah chapter 8 and chapter 9, the people of God have been far from God, and they finally recover the, the scrolls, and they have God's word, mainly the, 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 the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And Ezra, who's the pastor of the time, he's the priest, he begins to read the scroll. And as he's reading the scroll, people begin to weep because they begin to realize how far from God they've been and how they've been trusting in themselves. And they weep and they weep. And then Ezra gets up, he closes the book, he goes, whoa, 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 stop all the weeping. You know why? God wants us to celebrate now. Yes, you've been far from God. Yes, you sin against him, but he's with us now. So everyone, get food, get an animal, get a drink, get with your friends and celebrate. And then they begin to celebrate because God is good. <laughs> and then last one favorite one in 2 Samuel chapter 6. This is like one of my favorite stories. And, and it's King David. They've lost the ark to the Philistines once again. And it's always like the, the um, Israelites and the Philistines, and they're going after it. And then finally, they, they, they capture the ark. And the ark in itself was the presence of God with God's people. It, it was where they would go to worship. It was God's presence is with us. And then David sees the ark coming from afar. And it says he gets dressed, and he goes out. And what does he do? Does he start singing like, hmm. Blessed be the ark. No, he's not buttoned up. He starts dancing. He starts dancing. He sees the ark. The presence of God is coming back. God is with us. And he starts, I mean, just, and there's only a couple times in scripture where that word dancing is used. And it's never like controlled dancing, right? No rhythm, which you guys are like perfect for. And, and it's just like, we, he just starts dancing and dancing and dancing and just going crazy over God. And then his wife comes out and tries to grab him like, what are you doing? And he's like, what do you mean what I'm doing? She goes, you're a king. You can't do that. He goes, are you kidding me? My God is coming back to Jerusalem, and I get to see his presence and be near his presence. Are you, I'm going to act even more crazier than this. Like, I'm not going to stop. And just a side note, um, I don't know why the scripture does this, but like right after that it says, and then she was not able to have any more kids. <laughs> so, so, so if someone starts dancing and singing really loud after this message, just let it be, right? Because you might go to the parking lot and your car might not be there. <laughs> I'm just saying, right? And so there's this picture of just David just acting crazy, and it's all because the nearness of God. And here, here's why I think that we have it even better than that. We don't have to worry about the ark being brought in. God has done something far greater for us than he did for the people in the Old Testament. We don't have a temple. We don't have an ark because God says, I will dwell with my people. And so the presence of God is with his people primarily in every single believer who loves Jesus, and even more in a mystical way with the gathering of God's people as we gather together and sing. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing. We're going to sing to God because he's good. We're going to celebrate to God because he's good. So close your Bibles. Um, I'm going to pray. Lead us in a time of response. And then Dave and the band will come and and lead us in worship through song. And we're going to sing. And we're going to sing loudly. And there's no service after this. And so we can just sing forever. All right? (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. And I thank you, Lord, for the honor, the privilege, the joy the permanence of your Holy Spirit 
living in me. I know me enough to know how much I wander. And I'm thankful, Lord, and we're thankful that we know you enough to know how much you pursue. And you won't let us wander too far where we become lost sheep. You are the good shepherd. God, we thank you, Lord, that you have taken your truth, and not only have you written written it on these pages of these Bibles, but you've actually written it on our hearts. So we are never far from it, and you were never far from us. God, we know that you dwell with your people, and so just just for a moment, Lord, if you would uh, suspend time for us for a second, that we may give you praise through our words. God, that you would be honored in what we, what we say. You would be honored in our lives. God, just for a moment that you would be able to inhabit the praise of your people as you being God, our Lord, our rock, our redeemer, our ruler, our judge, our ultimate authority. God, would you remind us and break us and humble us and lead us to everlasting joy in your son, Jesus. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.